only you could see yourself in my eyes You'd see you shine, you shine One of his first vivid memories of music, would you believe, is from his parents' car hearing none other than Gareth Brooks. His first serious obsession, though, was football, even playing for Crumlin United in Dublin. Studied classical music in Maynooth, honed his trade busking on Grafton Street, but these details only scratch the surface of the meteoric rise of the man who went from street singing to main stage electric picnic in four years flat. With that, we say, how the hell are you, Dermot Kennedy? I'm good, yeah. I'm flying now. Um, not too bad. I feel good, to be honest. I've been, uh, I've been at home for more time than I have in the last three years. So it's it's been hugely beneficial for me. Uh, I've been making music. I have been getting sleep in a bed that isn't going at 60 miles an hour. And uh, it just feels good. Do you kind of take advantage of being at home in that you obviously were gone for so long now when you rock up home? Are you kind of trying to use that to curry favour a bit? Like, oh, you know, you know, make me a nice breakfast or make me a nice dinner or take you advantage well, that way? Yeah, but also you do have to train yourself too to actually like do things. There's so much stuff, um, say on tour, like if you're in a venue and there's catering in the venue, it's all very looked after and you can kind of... I don't know, it's just like you leave your dish over there and it, it's taken care of. Whereas when you're at home, it's like, that's not okay. So I have to make sure you're on top of that sort of thing. From going through some of your interviews, I was curious to know the many depths and sides to Dermot Kennedy. One of them mm-hmm. being, the you talked about the writing processes that you're going through with other artists at the minute, that it's through WhatsApp yeah. and voice notes. And you kind of like that because there's no social anxiety in studios trying to get to know people. But then on the other side, you can walk out on the biggest stage in Ireland at Electric Picnic and absolutely own it. How did the two yeah. of those sit side by side? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the thing is, I think the thing is when I'm walking out on that stage at Electric Picnic, like it really means everything to me, you know? Like it really, really, I don't know. I there, In my head, there just is no room for nerves. And, the, and it's not that I wasn't nervous. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I was really, really sort of like, there was so much adrenaline, but it's just, it feels like the right thing. And in and to be as like non-cheesy as possible, it just feels like what I'm supposed to do. And so, um, I don't know, it just, it feels very right. Whereas sometimes when you're in the studio, uh, and this is why the online writing thing works quite well for me. Sometimes when you're in the studio, don't get me wrong too, like the studio can be the most beautiful place and, and some really cool things can happen. And you can have a day with somebody you never met and it can be a really beautiful thing. But sometimes, I don't know, it can feel quite awkward or something. And I, I've just struggled with it in the past because it's kind of like, all right, well, I'm here for six more hours and I'm supposed to do my best work somehow. And it's like, how is that supposed to happen? Like the only thing that's on my mind is, thinking about this other person and what do they think of me and like is this lyric good enough and I don't know I just I quite like being in my own space when I'm making music same as anyone I think it seems that like the the songwriting and the singing are two such different skills that when you're doing both it's an unbelievable amount of talent but do you feel more connected to a song or do you enjoy a song more when you're writing it or when you're actually getting to perform it uh, it depends on which end of a tour you catch me at because honestly like you're playing 200 shows you have to make sure that line of lyrics still means something to you and you have to make sure it's the real thing and that 
an idea will never become tiresome. So, but to answer your question, yeah, I guess like with the inception of an idea, when you're in the studio and it first comes to you, I guess that's a very exciting thing. And it's a really beautiful thing where the words you write kind of match up and capture perfectly how you feel about something. And uh, that can be quite special. But yeah, it, it's, and also, when you think about the performing live, like you add into that, like people singing it back to you and that means the world to you. So um, I don't know, they're kind of equally beautiful things, I think. And anyone that has seen you live knows that you give it all. And it's not that you have to remind yourself to give it all. You say to yourself, well, this is my job. This is what I'm born to do. And you go out there and you give it. I think it's interesting that you don't have to tell yourself, right, you have to give it all today. No, yeah. No, I think if you have to do that, then you're losing already, right? Like if it's not your default, then I don't know. And it's not about going out and screaming your head off. It's just about really caring, you know? And I just, I think, I was talking to someone about it yesterday. It's like, if you play music in the street and if you are at a point where you're taking literally any gig in any bar you can get when you get to the point I'm at now obviously not throughout this time but like when you get to the point I was at where like you can tour relentlessly and sell out gigs in venues in places you never would go otherwise um, I just find it very hard to think that an artist could be like oh, I'll just sort of like half ass it tonight or this doesn't seem that important I want, like I'll take it easy tonight I just don't get that and I think I think it takes the struggle and the and the difficult times within your career to truly appreciate that. If that just shows up on your doorstep, I think you'll end up sort of taking it for granted, yeah. You kind of caused ructions online and with your fans when the Some Summer Night gig was announced. Just a reminder yeah. that that is uh, Thursday the 30th of July. A lot to look forward to and it's in the National History Museum in London. And I was kind of wondering then, because that's not, to my knowledge anyway, traditionally a gig venue, mm-hmm. is there anywhere else that you have on your list as a dream venue or location to perform at that wouldn't traditionally be for gigs? Um, yeah, like, oh, there's so many. I mean, we were thinking about, depending on how this goes, like, it could be such a beautiful thing. And so we were talking about whenever we're allowed, you could even do a tour of museums. And there's like Guggenheim museums and there's a beautiful museum in Venice. And like, you can imagine, you can go to all these unique places. And uh, because especially now in the current climate, if we're not allowed to have an audience in the room, it's about trying to figure out the best way to actually do what you do. Because we went from doing a proper tour and sold out shows to me like being at home, having my phone set up like this, playing into Instagram Live or whatever, which is nice because it brings people together, but it's so far from what you love and what you're used to. And so this gig at the Natural History Museum feels like doing it for real. And uh, so we'll have to see, but I couldn't think off the top of my head. I don't know, because the thing is, even the Natural History Museum seems like such an ambitious thing. And it almost in my head seemed something like, I don't even say it because it's just impossible. Like you're just not allowed to play there. And now we are. And so, and so I would have to think and just like, I would have to keep my own sort of actual instincts at bay because my instincts are to be like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> we'll see. Be brave, put your best foot forward. Yeah. You don't know what will happen. How does one reach out to Paul Meskel and go, hey, doing this really cool thing? Is that Insta DMs, Twitter? Is it get Paul's phone number from me, somebody? How does that work? No, no, no. It was an Instagram thing. Instagram, like... We can slate it all we want, but it's a brilliant way for 
artists to connect. It really is. Like when there's a network now of if I would be like to my manager, oh, can you talk to Paul's agent and let them know that I would love a few. It's just, it gets so convoluted and the actual authenticity gets lost. Whereas like you can message him directly and obviously there's a chance no one ever sees that stuff, but uh, just both being Irish and both, I don't know, it just, it, it worked out. And uh, I had messaged him a few weeks back randomly because normal people was just like exploding everywhere and everyone was mad for it and he was like every time you looked at anything it was him and so i messaged him and i was just like look i hope you're like i hope it's all good i hope you're having a good time because i can't i can't imagine how mental that is because whatever i've done has been very gradual and i've been able to adapt at every level whereas he went to just like superstar out of nowhere not out of nowhere that's really like disrespectful because i'm sure he's been slogging at it for ages but you know what i mean like it became huge very fast and so i just messaged and i was like i hope you're still having a good time because uh, who knows and uh, that was the first time we connected so that was i had no ulterior motives with that but thankfully uh, there was already a chain of messages there and i asked him to do the gig in the museum yeah Brilliant. I sincerely hope for Paul Meskel's case that it didn't uh, fall into the requests folder from you. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) You mentioned there on the getting your manager potentially to talk to Paul's agent and obviously you went the more direct way with Instagram. But I'm always really interested in that side of fame, nearly like the logistics of it and how many people you have to have around you. Like, how do you deal with that or how much control really do you have over your own schedule? I thought you were going to finish that sentence with the word team. And I've had loads of control over who's in my team. And then the schedule kind of sorts itself out because it's just a mutual agreement that like, we're going to do everything we can here to make this work. And I can honestly say in the last three years, I'm very, if I trust you, I'll leave everything to you. Like I'm not like I'm hands-on, but I think what's more effective than being hands-on is having a team who you trust and you can actually delegate in that way. And so if I'm being blunt about it, like I essentially leave my schedule to my managers and they can figure it out. And But I trust them because we have, we have a common goal, right? And, and like, so if I have a thing in the calendar, I'll go do it because I know they completely understand who I'm trying to be and what I want to do. So I have essentially signed up. And in the last two years, I've done everything. Like I've done, I can honestly say like everything that was asked of me, I, I, I turned nothing down because like I was saying earlier, it's just, it, it's so important to me and I spent enough time not having a career. So I'm very determined to make it work. Dermot, we wish you continued success for many nice years one, to come. Best of luck with yourself and all the team and Paul in the London Natural History Museum. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. mental. Our tickets are on sale yeah. now. Dermot, we thank you. Nice one, guys. Thank you. To find the details about the pay-per-view for one summer night at the London Natural History Museum featuring Paul Meskel, you can see DermotKennedy.com. Weekdays from 2.50.